Coming up, we do a fantasy football extravaganza podcast previewing the fantasy season, talking about some players who might stand out in the fantasy football season and some players who might disappoint. So all that if you're going to have a draft this week, which a lot of people are, uh, that's all coming up next. Plus, I talked a little bit about the Yankees. All that and more coming up. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com slash Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10 percent off your first month do it today welcome back to the rami la vie podcast it's presented as always by BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com use my name rami r-a-m-i for 10 percent off your first month of online therapy it's episode 88 and speaking of therapy i wanted to talk about fantasy football this was going to be the fantasy football blowout podcast that was the point of this coming in here talk fantasy have some fun with it and unfortunately the yankees ruined that for me tonight now i think everyone's sick of hearing me talk about the yankees no one wants to hear me talk about the yankees anymore but I don't even know at this point if I'm going to do more minutes tonight on the Yankees or on fantasy football, because like I said, football season, it's a week away. It's Thursday right now. It's early Thursday morning. In exactly one week, we're going to have a Thursday night football game, and it counts this time. The NFL is here. It's back. We've waited for it. I feel like every time, the best time that football came back was when there was no preseason after COVID and we weren't sure if we'd have a football season. They kept it like really under wraps. And then that commercial came out with the uh, Celine Dion song or whatever it was. And they're all the players singing along to it um, <laughs> with football being back. That like I play that. I'm going to play that commercial on Thursday night before I watch the game next week. That's guaranteed to happen. But it's exciting and there's a lot to talk about and fantasy football. If you haven't had your draft yet, you're probably having it either this weekend or sometime in the next few days. And that's a huge thing. That's fun. It's every Sunday. It's actually funny. So uh, he's probably listening to this, but I got my father into fantasy football. I got him to join a league and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to be into it. I don't know. Blah, 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 whatever. Like he doesn't do these things halfway. He used to do fantasy baseball and when he did it. He was religiously into it. And then he goes to me. He's like, you know, I feel like Sundays are going to be really fun after we did the draft and he made a couple of trades already and he has a really good team and he's like talking back and forth with me. I'm like, yeah, you're starting to get it. Fantasy football. It's awesome. Welcome to the club. Um, so that's going to be fun for us. And all that stuff is awesome. Like there's so much fun things to talk about with football and everything else. Obviously, cut days were this week. There's new hard knocks out, all that stuff. 
And yet I'm sitting here and I'm complaining because I'm watching the Yankee game. And people probably are sick of hearing me talk about the Yankees. You probably don't want to hear me talk about the Yankees anymore. And I don't want to talk about the Yankees anymore. But every time it seems like they might be close or on the way to turn it around, they do something new and infuriating to frustrate you. And it's gotten to the point where yeah, I don't think this team can actually compete in the playoffs, even if they did turn it around for the final month. And tonight was an all-time low because I was going to talk about the Yankees anyway, but it was going to be a little bit positive because of how last night went, or I guess now you're listening to this, how Tuesday night went. It was a pretty good game. Aaron Judge hits the home run. They get the win, all that stuff. Judge 51 on the season. Really fun. You know, last episode, I was recording while I was watching the Yankee game, and I saw the Aaron Judge home run go out, and now I have the audio of me reacting to the Aaron Judge home run go out. Wasn't that exciting? Sorry. (laughs) Maybe if I was doing like a live stream, it would have been more exciting, but really, I was just trying to record a podcast, and I was mid-sentence, and I go, ah, Judge hit his 50th home run. That was basically it, if you missed it. If you did miss it, go back. Last episode was good. Uh, we talked about R.J. Barrett and the Knicks and everything going down there, so I'm not going to cover that on this episode. That was covered already on Tuesday's episode, but I have my auction fantasy football draft tonight, Thursday night. I already had one fantasy football draft, so like, yeah, this is fun. This is exciting. Still, the Yankees are disappointing me, and like I said, it was going to be something positive, But now it's a negative because the Yankees turned it into a negative by splitting in Oakland and losing two of three in Anaheim. And you can't do that. You go on a West Coast trip at the end of the year. You're trying to get right. You take the final game against Toronto. You beat the Mets in two games. You win the first two games in Oakland. And then to lose four out of the next five is just unacceptable. And that's exactly what the Yankees did. They lost four out of five after winning the first two games in Oakland. And tonight's loss was just so predictable. So Garrett Cole, and I mentioned this in last episode also with the Adam Wainwright stuff where Adam Wainwright was talking about being mentally tough and you know when things don't go exactly how you plan them, losing your rhythm. You could see it on Garrett Cole's face after the fan run on the field and there was a delay. You could see all of a sudden it was shifting. And the first batter, he misses with a couple pitches badly and then he gives out a fly out, a deep fly out to center field. So maybe people don't directly correlate that because the next two batters, you could say maybe they should have been ground outs. Now, one of them, the Donaldson play, the error, that was not an unearned run. That was a single and an error. Like the the error was on the throw because he threw it out of play. It would have been an incredible play if he made the play to get the out, but it was a single and then an error, advancing the runner to second base. So people think oh, well, Donaldson made an error there. No, 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 no. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, I don't know what we're doing. He made the error there. But at some point when you're the pitcher and you're this guy who's supposed to be the ace, who's supposed to be dominant, you have to be mentally tough enough to, okay, you deal with the adversity. Stuff happened. There was a delay. You see him upset there. Like he starts tossing again and he's just pissed off and you just can't deal. I've never seen a more mentally weak professional athlete in my life. And he comes out and when... He throws, when, when Otani comes up with runners on first and second after two hours and the delay, that was the most predictable home run in MLB history. And people are saying, well, if there was only a runner on second with two outs, maybe you could pitch a little more carefully to Otani. Yeah, you could pitch a little bit more carefully, but you really think that was his best route? That was the only thing he could have done there was throw two fastballs way out of the zone and then a fastball right down the middle on 2-0 that Otani crushed into the right field seats. Like, I don't understand all the excuses for him. Yes, it wasn't an ideal situation, but that's the point. He's the ace. It's not going to be in an ideal situation. In the playoffs, if he wins games, it's not always going to be perfect. 
and the errors are upsetting, but it's not the fact that he gave up a home run in the game. It's the fact that it was the most predictable sequence of events ever. When the, the second the guy ran on the field and there was that delay, you knew it was going to completely throw him off. And after the two errors, you knew that Otani was hitting a home run. There was the most predict- I said it before. I, I tweeted it out before the two hours that I'm sure this won't affect Cole at all, sarcastically. And I'm sure he'll handle this extremely well. And then they make the errors. And then the home run was so predictable. And that's what's upsetting, that you know that every single time, when you really need him most, when you need him to make a pitch, when you need him to step up and pick his teammates up, because that's what great players do, that's what great pitchers do, he makes the worst pitch of the game and throws a fastball down the middle to Otani. It's not that it's completely on him and that everything was on him. It's that not only did he not make a decent pitch to Otani, it's that he made his absolute worst pitch in that moment. It's one thing if you tell me Otani hit a pitch that was slider down and in on 0-2, he hit a slider down and in, hit it down the line for a two-run double to tie the game, or even if he hit it out. But it wasn't that. It was that the worst pitch that Cole threw by far in the ball game was right after a little bit of turbulence. And maybe you could call it a lot of turbulence. I don't know. Yes, the fan running on the field, the two errors. It's not great. It's not what you want, as Joe Girardi would say. But that at that moment, he instead of making even a decent pitch, he throws by far his worst pitch of the game. And Donaldson, again, that runner would be on anyway. The Donaldson play would have been an incredible play. It's the Isaiah Kiner-Falefa play that's just absolutely mind-boggling. Because that play, what are you doing? And I know people, you either hate him or you love him on Twitter, but it's just crazy with the uh, with the Isaiah Connor Falefa stuff, it's gotten nuts already. And I, I don't understand the Garrett Cole apologists. I, I really don't. If you're a Yankee fan and you're watching this, how can you keep apologizing for this guy? How can you keep going back and saying, no, well, it's not his fault. It's this guy. It's that guy. It's this guy. It's that guy. Isn't his job as a Yankee pitcher to pick everyone else up to when you need it most, he's the guy who's there? Isn't that the point of a star? Isn't that the point of an ace? Isn't that the type of pitcher you pay $324 million for? Why do you, does he need your sympathy every time? Does he need your apologies? I don't understand it. It's just, it's mind boggling to me. And the fact that these fans just keep apologizing for him and saying, oh, well, you know, Cole, it's not his fault, kind of for Leffa, Donaldson, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Donaldson's been bad this year, but he's been really good defensively. And kind of for Leffa likes to get hit, hated on by all Yankee fans. I get that too. And no, it's not an ideal situation. But like I said, he didn't need to make his absolute worst pitch of the night. The one pitch that he made that was worse by far than any other pitch he threw all game in that spot. Like a halfway decent pitch maybe would have been okay. Maybe would have accepted that. But no, after the adversity hits, he by far makes his worst pitch. And that's when it just completely falls apart for him. And it's, it's not the first time. This is not like one time this happened. There's a recurring theme. And guess what? In the playoffs, like I said... Like I said the other night, not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to fall exactly how you want it. You're going to be counting on him making big pitches in big spots where things are a little bit sticky. And if every time it gets a little sticky, all of a sudden he's throwing his worst pitch of the night and he's the most unreliable when you need him most, then that's why you can't trust him in the playoffs. So do I think the Yankees can even win a playoff series? No, not if they're relying on him to be your number one starter. I don't know. All that said... This, this game is not on Cole. This game is on the offense. 
the Yankees offense got three hits all night. And when you walk Aaron Judge twice, well, with no one batting around him, that's why I kind of wanted DJ LeMay, who wasn't great in this game. I wanted him to bat behind Judge. I want him to stay behind Judge. I know him leading off and then Benintendi second. It worked on Tuesday night, so you do the same thing on Wednesday night, something the Yankees have not done often. So Yankee fans were applauding Boone for doing that. But I kind of like DJ LeMahieu batting behind Judge. It breaks up the power guys who are big strikeout, big power guys. And if Judge is going to walk every time, put a guy behind him who's going to get hits. And Judge can't do absolutely everything. He comes up in the ninth inning. He walks. He steals the base. A great at-bat by Stanton, who clearly was having a hard time laying off that slider down and away, but did. They wanted no piece of Judge. They, they totally pitched around him. Even though it was the tying run leading off the ninth inning, they're like, here, just take first base. Even the strike was barely, was barely close. He walked on five pitches. And then Stanton had to work in a bat, but at least he worked it while Judge stole second base. And then you have Stanton on first, Judge on second, and three cracks at it. And Donaldson struck out on a fastball down and out of the zone. Gleyber Torres struck out on a fastball down and out of the zone. And then this is interesting because Jose Trevino has been clutch this year. And he's a bat on ball guy. He's not a guy who strikes out a lot. And instead, you bring in a rookie who's been in the majors for two weeks and has never pinch hit in his career in the major leagues. And it's his first pinch hit opportunity with the game on the line, two outs. Now, if you want to tell me that because the previous two right-handers had such a hard time with the slider down and away, maybe that makes sense, and that's why you take out Trevino. He's a right-handed hitter. You bring in Cabrera, who's a switch hitter, and you turn him around. He bats from the left side. But it's not even about that because those two guys, Donaldson and Torres, are struggling so much right now that doesn't really matter what they did in their at-bats. You can't even look at their at-bats and say, oh, they swung a miss at those sliders down and away. Maybe we should take a right-hander out. Because is it the slider that's so wicked, the down and away slider? Or is it just those players are struggling so much? Like, Glaber Torres, when he had the RBI double in this game that Mike Trout misplayed, he looked surprised and relieved pulling up to second base. Like, he didn't even think. he His confidence is so low, he didn't even think he was getting a hit there. So I don't understand that. I, I mean... I love that Oswaldo Cabrera, everyone's so into him and he came up and he's playing every position and he's playing every day. But like at some point you got to make a decision where it's, hey, this guy has never pinch hit in his career. He's a minor leaguer who just came up and he's going to be the savior. And of course he swung at the first two pitches and grounded out on the second one. That was it. Game was over. And they went down weekly after putting runners on first and second. It looked like those next three batters didn't even have a chance. So is it annoying that Cole gave up that huge home run and it's two earned runs, three runs, two earned, whatever. Is it upsetting that sequence of events? Does it tell you more about Cole or that we know more of the same that we've seen from Cole the entire season? Yeah, all that's true, but the game is not on Cole. The loss is not on Cole. The Yankees had three hits against a pitcher who's a nobody. And it's the same thing that happened two nights ago. And if you think about Tuesday night, the one game where they actually win... Judge hits a giant three-run home run the one time they pitch to him. They get two runs on an error, and they get two solo shots in the game. One from Rizzo, who's hurt and pinch hit in this ballgame, but he can't run and he can't field, so you can't play him. Put him on the IL, you want to say? Well, what other option do they have? It's not like they could call someone up who could play for him. There's nobody. They get two home runs, two solo shots, and then a home run by Judge the one time they actually had to pinch to him, and then the error scores two more runs. So did the Yankees really score seven runs in that game? Like, I get it. Yes, they live and die with a home run. This game, they didn't hit the home runs. 
So they only scored two runs, and they only had three hits. So if the ball doesn't go out of the ballpark, they don't score runs, other than the two errors, or the two runs that came in on the one error. So when you look at this as a whole, you go back to the 13-run game last week, Thursday, a week ago at this point, when they scored 13 13 runs without a home run. That's the aberration in all of this. This team doesn't hit with runners in scoring position. They don't move runners over. They don't play fundamentally sound baseball. And guess what? Two errors is part of that. It's fundamentally poor baseball. At some point... I don't like to blame the manager. I talked about this, but at some point it's on the manager to tell them, guys, like, play fundamentally sound. And he finally benched Aaron Hicks for an extended period of time, who looked better because now he feels like he has to prove himself. He looked better in center field. He had a hit. It's not the worst thing in the world. He had a sack fly. Gleyber Torres was benched for one game, gets the big RBI double, and then comes back and is doing the exact same thing where he's totally off balance with his leg really high up on the leg kick, swinging at sliders way out of the zone that he's not even looking at. It's just the same thing over and over again. It's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I don't know why they keep doing that. And it's upsetting at this point. In the middle game of the series, Boone knows that this team is so struggling right now, they get the starter out after two innings because Tyone gets the line drive off him. And so he has to come out after two innings. And then Boone, he didn't go to a long reliever. He was managing this game like it was a playoff game. He was mixing and matching the matchups every inning to get everything out of the bullpen because he knows how important these games are because there's not they're not winning any games. And baseball is strange like that where the first game of the series, the Yankees have the, the starter gives up four runs in six innings. The last game of the series, the starter gives up three runs, two of them earned in seven innings. And they lose both of those games. And the middle game, the Yankees starter doesn't make it out of the second because he gets hurt or it goes exactly uh, two innings because he gets hurt. And that's the one they win. So baseball is weird. There's no rhyme or reason for anything. But a month of this, I mean, come on. The Yankees finished August 10 and 18, a 10 and 18 record. That's their worst record and the most losses in any calendar month since September of 1991 when the Yankees were 9 and 19. So this is their worst month in 30 years as a franchise. So don't tell me that all of a sudden, no, there's this, there's that, there's these excuses and baseball's weird and blah, 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 and everything was by chance. At some point, it becomes who they are, right? We're talking about this is historically bad that the Yankees have been for a month now. This is not just a coincidence. At some point, you have to start looking at this as this is what the norm is. This is not the aberration like I talked about. And what's so crazy to me, and this is just also mind-boggling, tonight was the Yankees' 21st loss in a one-run game this season. Remember last year, it felt like every single game they lost, they blew a save or was late in the game or it was those those gut-punching losses that Aaron Boone talked about. And with all that, they only lost 20 games the entire season last year by one run. And in a year where it felt like all they were doing was losing one-run games, they lost only 20 games by one run. And this year where it felt like all they were doing was pulling those one-run one games out. All, it felt like all they were doing was winning those big games late and all the 50-50 games they were finding ways to win. They've already lost more one-run games this year than they did last year. So is this a tiny sample size of a month of playing poorly? Or is this really a two-year sample size of them not being a clutch team and not getting those big hits when they matter 
and losing close games, losing the games that are 50-50. It's the most cliche baseball thing ever where you're gonna, every team's going to win 50 games, lose 50 games, and there's 50 more games that are the 50-50 games that decide who your season is. Maybe the Yankees season early on, all those games that they were winning were the games that were the 50 wins that they're going to get anyway. But it seems like all these one-run games, all these 50-50 games that could go either way and those that you have to grasp onto and win, the Yankees are losing right now. And that's not good. And when the offense is struggling and the bullpen is struggling, those are the two worst-looking things for a baseball team. It's just true. I think Michael Kay mentioned that, that when offenses struggle and when bullpen struggle, that's what makes a team look really, really bad. And that's what's been happening with the Yankees. And so they could get help in September, right? Stanton, it looks like he's getting his timing back. I like that. If he's getting his timing back and he's in this lineup, if Rizzo can get healthy. I don't even want to talk about Matt Carpenter because you're really going to rely on a 38-year-old guy who is having just an abnormal aberration of a season. You're, that's the guy you're counting on. They shouldn't need to, but at this point, they kind of need to count on him. I don't know if this makes them make a decision. They see all these other teams bringing up young kids and they're contributing right away like the Orioles did today with Gunnar Henderson and he hits his first career home run right off the bat. I guess that's a pun. I don't know. It wasn't intentional. I promise that one wasn't intentional. He hit his home run in his first at bat and it technically was right off the bat, right out of the gate. I don't know. Um, but if the Yankees see other teams doing this, then maybe they will say, okay, you know what? Fine. We'll bring up Peraza. We'll bring up maybe Volpe. Obviously, Peraza is more likely. They have the September call-ups now. They have to do something, you think, right? You have to make some sort of change. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Now, at this point, this is not the abnormal part. This has become the norm. This team is as bad as they've been in 30 years in a single month, in thirty over 30 years. At, at one point, do you start to look at it and say, okay, something needs to change. Something actually is happening here. Or do you just say, no, I, I trust it. No, no, no. We're just a couple of pitches. We're right there. I could feel it. And Aaron Boone can bang on a desk all he wants and say, yeah, we're right there. That worked for four games. Good. It's not working anymore. You have to make serious changes. I don't know what they are, but... I don't know if they can make them in time in this next month to propel them into the playoffs and for them to win in the playoffs. Now, if you remember in 2020, the shortened season, they really, really limped to the finish line ended. What was it? 33 and 27, something like that in the 60 game season. They were really bad at the end. They limped to the finish line, like I said, and all of a sudden in the playoffs, there was a reset and they crushed Cleveland They were really good in the Tampa series. Ultimately lost in a game five to Tampa, who was a better team that year. But there was like this switch that was flipped. You can't expect that to happen. I talked about it last year. So like I said, maybe you get help on the way and the offense gets better. And the bullpen, this is the big one. Maybe that comes together. I talked about Clay Holmes coming back and looking like himself. Again tonight, he looked awesome. And in between the two games, Loisaga looked like himself. And over his last 17 games, Loisaga has been fantastic. So if the back end of the bullpen can get fixed, and guys like Ron Marinaccio keep pitching like he's been pitching, and Efros comes back, and Trevino out of the bullpen, and maybe Stanton gets going a little bit, and someone else in this lineup, maybe someone else gets going in this lineup, or they bring up Peraza or Volpe or whoever to contribute. Maybe this team could actually get it right and get it going. 
but they need to figure this out. They have a month to figure it out now. We keep saying it was they have two months to figure it out. They have six weeks to figure it out. Now it's a month. Now you have September. It's September now. Welcome. Summer's over. It's fall. It's Labor Day weekend this week. Now you got to figure it out. You got to make it happen. Enough has happened. You need to figure out a way. And I'm not talking about blowing teams out or winning the 7-4 games. Or winning the games 13-1 to where you score a bunch of runs. Or those aberration games. Or winning the games where six guys hit home runs. I'm talking about squeezing out the tough victories. And making them stand up. Making a big pitch in a one-run game. Or a two-run game. Getting the big hit in a one-run game or a two-run game with a runner in scoring position and two outs. Moving a runner over, making the right fielding decisions and the right base running decisions. That's what wins you games. One team that's doing that now, and I keep talking about them, but they're just a fun brand of baseball to watch, is the Mets. Tonight was so much fun. And yeah, it's kind of funny to clown on the Mets last night. Obviously, they have uh, Timmy Trumpet come in. And they don't bring him into the game. They don't bring Diaz into the game so he doesn't play the trumpets live. But I kind of like that from Buck. Buck's not going to get bullied by social media and what's going to go viral. He's not like, oh, well, I need to bring Timmy Trumpet in because everyone's going to watch this video tomorrow on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. He's like, no, I'm trying to win these games. So this is against the Dodgers. This is a huge game. The two best teams in the National League. Guess what? He made the right baseball decision there. That's why I love Buck. And that's why all the Mets fans are going nuts over Buck. But then he comes back the next night. And it would have been so perfect Met for him to play the trumpets. They give out all the trumpets to all the fans. He plays the trumpets. And then for Diaz to blow it. But this Mets team is different. Diaz gets the save. Jacob deGrom. I, like, to me, it's must-watch television. I had dinner ready. I turned on the TV. And I sat down. And the Mets finished their game in 2 hours and 15 minutes. So it was before I came to work to the studio tonight. So that was awesome for me. But it's appointment television for me to watch Jacob DeGrom because he's that good. He's that special. So I sat down and I watched DeGrom and it was awesome. And Nimmo saves his ass because guess what? That one pitch that he threw because he's freaking Jacob DeGrom. Even he's not perfect. He threw a pitch that got hit and Nimmo went and saved him and made a leaping catch. Right? Robbed a home run or would have been off the top of the wall, but made a great catch. And then Adovino was awesome. Strikes out bets to end the eighth. And then Diaz comes in with a perfect clean ninth after the trumpets play. It was a fun baseball game. The Mets get their two home runs. It was just awesome all around between two great teams. And that's more fun to watch. By the way, one thing I did notice when I watched this game, and I always talk about this with narrative things, what would you think Joey Gallo is doing as, an, as a Dodger if you just looked on Twitter and people trolling the Yankees and listen to people on social media and sports talk radio? You think Joey Gallo is batting 600 with 12 home runs already as a Dodger. Dude has a couple of homers. He's still batting 160 on the air. I think he was over four tonight. Let me check that. I, I want to give you accurate numbers here. But from everything you hear, you'd think that Joey Gallo has been the best player in baseball since he's off the Yankees, right? And all he does is win, and he's helping the Mets, and he's hitting homers left and right. No, Joey Gallo was 0 for 3 with a strikeout and left a runner on base. He's batting 163 on the season, which I guess is two points higher than he was batting with the Yankees. So yeah, he's been hot. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. The other thing that's happening in baseball, and I'm seeing it, I guess, because they're playing against each other and getting towards that time of the year, was the MVP debate between Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. And it's simple to me. Who's the MVP this year? Aaron Judge. Who's the most outstanding baseball player this year? 
Shohei Otani. I don't understand why people can't make that difference. And now, yes, the most valuable player award for some reason still goes to the most outstanding player award. And I think they should make two awards, have a most outstanding player award and have a most valuable player award. But don't give the most valuable player award to a guy whose team, even with him and with another guy on the team who's the best player in the league, arguably, in Mike Trout, they still can't win anything. So for everything that Shohei Otani is doing, and everyone likes to make the argument of, well, Shohei Otani pitches. I haven't seen Aaron Judge pitch. Well, Shohei Otani doesn't play the outfield. Aaron Judge is playing an incredible center field for the Yankees. Aaron Judge is stealing bases. You know Shohei Otani is stealing bases too, but at a 50% clip, they pointed that out in the Yankee game last night. It's like, why are you still stealing bases? He's very fast, but he's, very, he's really not a good base stealer. So Otani does a ton. I get that. And he's hit 30 home runs. But we're going to sit here and act like Aaron Judge hasn't hit 51 freaking home runs on the year. And when the Yankees win, it's because of Aaron Judge. And when they lose, it's because Aaron Judge didn't carry them to victory, which has been the case most of the time this year. And the Yankees have won a lot of freaking games. Yeah, they won 79 games. Am I pissed off about the last two months? Yeah, but they've still won 80 games so far this year. And guess what? Almost 80 of those wins were because Aaron Judge carried them to victory. Shohei Otani, it's like he hits three home runs in a game and the Angels still lose by seven runs. And he pitches six shutout innings and guess what? The bullpen comes in and blows it. So it's not his fault that they're losing, but he's not carrying them to victories. You know they have the stat wins above replacements, which is basically the best stat to measure a baseball player. I have no idea how it works. Don't ask me. But they basically take everything you do and decide how many wins you're worth to your team. Aaron Judge has more wins is worth more wins, I should say, than Shohei Otani right now. Doesn't that uh, you think Shohei Otani, a guy who pitches and do you know he pitches and hits? He does both. I don't know if you knew that. And I know I love to talk about how incredible Otani is, and it is. It's the most outstanding thing I've ever seen. And I'm really impressed by him. But he's not the most valuable player. Because if he was the most valuable player, the Angels would be winning a hell of a lot more games, right? And they're not. So I, I don't understand the debate. The next most home runs in baseball is 36 it's not close Aaron Judge has more home runs by far and he's batting 300 and guess what when they pitch around him like a game like tonight where they walk him twice the Yankees don't win even Otani when he's coming up there is not getting walked every time in every situation and he has no protection in the lineup but he's not getting walked the way Aaron Judge is getting walked I've never seen a season this impressive offensively as I'm seeing from Aaron Judge right now I'm sorry I just haven't And so the fact that he's having that incredible season offensively, the fact that they moved him from right field to center field because they just needed a center fielder and he's done everything the Yankees need. A guy who, oh, he's injury prone. He doesn't play a lot. All of a sudden he's playing every single day and playing the hardest position, one of the harder positions center field to play in baseball and playing it at an excellent level and he's stealing bases and he's out there making a difference for this team and a team that desperately needs him, especially over the last two months. Yeah, I'd say he's the most valuable player in the league. All right, I did like 25, 30 minutes on freaking Yankee baseball, which is just so upsetting for me. I want to talk about the draft. I want to talk about football. You probably want to know what you're going to do in your fantasy football draft. And I'm sitting here talking about the Yankees and being upset. And I don't want to do that. By the way, speaking of football, so let's transition here to football. Speaking of football, which is a trick I learned from Craig Carton. You don't really have to talk about football before to say speaking of blank and then go right into it. Um, the great Chris Strebler is back. He's on the Jets practice squad. So they signed him. So he's staying. He's not going anywhere. Maybe he'll get signed off the practice squad. Who knows? 
I don't. But I'm happy that he's back with the Jets. We don't get to see him tear it up somewhere else. But it also tells you tells you one thing that just because he was cut, that doesn't mean everyone's going to run and get him. It kind of makes me right about what I said that like, look, he did it against third stringers. We get it. Maybe the Cowboys should have picked him up. They actually, it's actually funny. The Cowboys have uh, zero backup quarterbacks right now that on their roster. They're going to resign some of them. It's it's a cap structure thing where they cut all their quarterbacks, um, but they're going to pick up a backup quarterback at some point before the first game of the season. Obviously, um, I think I don't know. If it's the Cowboys, Jerry Jones. <laughs> Who knows what he's going to do? But they should pick up a backup quarterback before the season starts. But they had to cut him on cut day. I, I don't know how that cap stuff works. It's cap manipulation. Um, Denzel Mims there was a, a I guess a development in his situation where he's like I actually don't want to leave I like it here I just really want to play I want to be one of the starting wide receivers and it seems like the Jets don't want me to be one of the starting wide receivers like I said it's exactly what I said last time dude you showed up once finally you showed up in shape finally you showed up willing to learn the playbook finally you showed up willing to play on special teams you got to earn your playing time and if you had done that the first time you showed up as a rookie and you did that last year, they wouldn't have gone out and got Corey Davis. They wouldn't have gone out and drafted Garrett Wilson. And guess what? They probably could have gotten a better guy in Garrett Wilson's place. They probably could have spent the Corey Davis money elsewhere. So you kind of screwed the team here. And now you're coming back and saying, I want a starting spot. I want to be a starting wide receiver. I want to be one of the three. Like, dude, no. If you play yourself into it and you're ultimately better than Garrett Wilson and Braxton Berrios and Corey Davis, and maybe even... Elijah Moore, which I don't see happening. But if you're better than any of those guys, then you'll probably get more playing time. But we want you here because we invested a draft pick in you. You kind of screwed us. You were awful. You were annoying. You were frustrating. And now you're coming back and finally you're doing things the right way. And after a week, you're like, I'm, I'm good now. Now I can, I can do this. It's like a guy at work pulling a Colin Cowherd. This is, this is awesome. I think this is my first analogy that I just thought of on the spot. This is going to be great. Yeah, the guy at work, he's lazy, he shows up late, he does nothing, nothing. And then one week, all of a sudden, after six months of terrible work, he shows up and he starts coming on time. He's putting in extra hours. He's working his butt off. And then he comes to his boss a week later and says, I want to raise. How's that for an imitation? I thought that was really good, honestly. I thought the analogy works, though. Like, I'm not just yelling about something random. The analogy works. It's like a guy who, after he puts in a week of effort and like, all right, now give me a raise because after six months of doing nothing, I put in a week of effort, like reward me for this. Like, what do you want, a cookie? Uh, Michael Scott, The Office, Chris Rock, whatever, whole routine. Anyway, um, speaking of guys who were cut on the Jets because I talked about Chris Stradler, they did cut seven players who were then picked up by other rosters, which is a good thing. That means the Jets have built depth. And there are players who are not good enough to be on the Jets who are good enough to be on other teams. What that also means is that maybe the Jets made serious mistakes because if you think the Jets have 53 players that are better than those seven players and all of a sudden the Jets suck, then where are those 53 players and those other seven players start contributing for the teams that they were on? Cool. Well, you need depth in football and apparently the Jets had 60 guys that were good enough to be on NFL rosters because seven of them are on NFL rosters elsewhere, so I can't hate it. Um... Also, and I'm going to do this because everyone's talking about this, and this is the same thing as the NBA 75. Don't talk to me about the NFL Top 100. It means nothing, the Top 100 players. What does mean something is my fantasy football rankings. Now, first of all, don't listen to me. What do I know? I don't know anything about fantasy football. I play it like the rest of you. I have fun. 
I did a couple drafts. I did a little more research this year than past years, maybe because of the podcast, maybe because I actually want to win some money, maybe because I'm playing with friends and family that I want to show up, maybe because I want to make my dad proud finally in fantasy football. And I want to show him, see, dad, I told you so. I'm good. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I feel like more pressure now because like I have a sports podcast. I work in sports. I'm like, well, I should win. If I don't win, it's kind of embarrassing, right? I don't know. Maybe. I think my wife told me that. She's like, you compete with these other people and they don't work in sports. Like, you should beat them by far. Yeah, I guess she's kind of not wrong. (laughs) I better win. So I did a little more research. I don't know if my research is good or not, but don't listen to me. You're going to have your team. Whoever you draft, you're going to automatically love because we all struggle from that syndrome where I fall in love with my team no matter who they are syndrome. So, yeah, this is just going to be fun, me talking about fantasy football for a while, and I have a few minutes to do it. Um, And the first thing I want to talk about is really just kind of outlining fantasy football and how it works. These are not like mysteries. These are things that a lot of people talk about, but quarterbacks. Quarterbacks need to be more valuable in fantasy football. And people were talking about it. A guy who's like a third or fourth wide receiver on a team take a Corey Davis or a Braxton Berrios all of a sudden is more valuable than Kirk Cousins who's going to throw 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns this year and only 10 picks like what whose fantasy is that like it's supposed to be fantasy football we're supposed to be fantasizing about building a roster to compete and this is how rosters are built in the NFL it's some weird fantasy world it's not football this is not the NFL this is not fantasy football so how do you do that? There's two ways to do it. Have two, a two-quarterback league, which I last-minute joined a two-quarterback league. The problem was the two-quarterback league had only eight teams. So if you only have eight teams, then everyone's going to get a good quarterback because the league is 16 quarterbacks deep. It just is. So I pulled the Bill Simmons where I started drafting other quarterbacks even after I had two quarterbacks just to get more quarterbacks and take quarterbacks off of other guys' rosters. Somebody ended up, I think it's two quarterbacks, or Tua, Tungavailoa, and Geno Smith, I'm pretty sure. By the way, last week, I must have been spacing out, or not last week, last episode, I must have been spacing out a lot while I was recording. I was really watching the Yankee game because I called Adrian Wojnarowski, Adam Schefter. I called Lamar Jackson, Tua Tagovailoa, and just making mistakes here. Nobody's perfect, right? Um, depth doesn't matter. This is something, oh, I was just to finish my point on the quarterbacks. The best thing to do as a quarterback, as I continue to just lose my mind, um, the it is 1.30 in the morning right now. So, like, I have a right to lose my mind. I'm at work. It's 1.30 in the morning. It's not great. It's not great. Um, I'm not complaining. I, my job is to talk about sports and to cut up sports highlights. And I'm producing another live show on Monday. So, yeah, I can't complain too much. But back to fantasy football and the quarterbacks, the best thing to do is a flex. A super flex where... It's a quarterback, running back, tight end. Because then you're looking at, okay, do I want like a second string, like a Tony Pollard, who's a backup running back but might run for a touchdown, or do I want Kirk Cousins? Like when you're drafting these guys who are like the third wide receiver, third running back, third tight end on a depth chart, and you're taking them and you're looking at them versus Aaron Rodgers, I would draft two quarterbacks right away. Like what I did in my other draft was I took Patrick Mahomes and I took Josh Allen. The reason I did that was because now my two quarterbacks are better than your two quarterbacks. But if I had a super flex, then I would have taken a third quarterback or I would have taken 
a quarterback and still a second quarterback because even if you're like i said i keep using kirk cousins as an example because i think he's a pretty good fantasy quarterback honestly but if i take kirk cousins he's getting me 18 to 25 points a week whereas i have this running back say tony bollard who might get me six points might get me 20 points so the super flex is awesome that's that's great another thing (laughs) my uncle told me this he's like i have great depth on my team Look at this. Every guy is like solid. I'm like the worst thing to have in fantasy football is depth. Like you're just waiting every single week. You're like all these guys are going to get me exactly between nine and 12 points this week. Great. This is boring as hell. I have no one who's a difference maker and I can only start X amount of players anyway. So where does depth get me? So that was cute. That was funny. The whole I have depth. <laughs> that was, that was really hilarious. Um, when he told me that, um, another thing, is my team. I was going to rattle off my team real quick. So this is a 12 team. This is a snake draft. Now my real draft, or I guess my, I don't know if it's my real draft. My auction draft is coming up where real fantasy football players graduate to auction drafts. I have never had a league with an auction draft, but they say that real fantasy football players eventually graduate to auction drafts. So that draft is going to be coming up tonight. And I'm looking forward to that can't wait for that but for now my team looks like this i have lamar jackson at quarterback and i could kind of tell you what happened but i wasn't expecting to draft him but i did was doing really poorly on running backs um so i drafted lamar jackson because i needed a running back and he's the best running back in the league baby shots fired um so i took lamar jackson and i have three insane running backs because the way this league is we have uh, we're doing three running backs, a flex, or two running backs, three wide receivers, a flex, and a tight end, and a quarterback. And no defense, no kickers, because who needs defense and kickers? Um, and it's a half PPR this league. So I have Lamar Jackson, and then I have Cup, Diggs, and Keenan Allen as my three wide receivers. And then, like I said, my running backs are not great. I have Antonio Gibson from Washington, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from Kansas City, and then I have Robert Tunyon as my tight end. I'm very proud of that pick. And Adam Thielen. So my four wide receivers are incredible. Now wide receivers don't win you games. I have Rashad Penny, who's probably going to be starting. I have Kareem Hunt, who might get traded. Maybe he's going to get some more playing time, right? One injury away. Tyler Boyd uh, as a backup wide receiver. Russell Gage as a backup wide receiver. Then Michael Carter, who's looked good in preseason and the backup running back there, the rookie uh, that the Jets have. Brees Hall has not looked as great. So maybe he gets some more touches. And I have Sammy Watkins just for week one. Week one Watkins, why not? And that's me talking about my fantasy team. I promise you I will not talk about my fantasy team, my personal team, uh, the rest of the year probably because no one cares about your fantasy team. Um, So that's that. I mentioned already auction drafts is the way to do it. I can't wait. Looking forward. It's tonight. And I'm not really going to give a rankings so much for what I'm doing. I'm more just going to talk about go position by position and give you notable guys. By the way, this is the most interesting thing. I mentioned at the top that I don't really know better than you and all the experts or whatever. They don't really know better than you. Something really interesting is that this year and Bill Simmons talked about this and a few people talked about this, that this year is different than every other year where it's kind of like we know what's going to happen more than any other year prior that we know who's going to be good. We know who the risk guys are. We know who the guys who are high upside guys are i feel like people know more about fantasy there's so many podcasts out there there's so many different things that everyone's kind of on the same page like when i go to my draft and i have my list tomorrow everyone thinks they have their list who they're going to target in the auction draft everyone's list is the same 
everyone's list is going to be exactly the same in an auction draft. And the rankings that they have on Yahoo are similar to ESPN and fantasy and or whatever the NFL fantasy app sleeper all that stuff so when you're going through the draft it's basically going to go chalk it's basically going to go as you predicted or as the order of the rankings on whatever host site you're using so what i'm going to tell you that's why i'm not doing a ranking really so i'm going to try and tell you some different makers difference makers and what i think about those guys but don't be that guy who comes in only looking for difference makers there are two teams in my league who are trying they drafted every sleeper in every spot Every time they had a draft pick, they went for the sleeper. They went for the guy who's like, oh, high upside, this guy no one's talking about. We get it. You listen to all the fantasy football podcasts. But now you have a team that is trash. Yeah, high upside. But your floor is so low. Your team sucks because you thought that these guys are going to do great. And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those guys will all do great. But if at three you drafted a guy who could be the third best, and if at nine you drafted this guy who could be great, and at 12 you drafted a guy who could be great in that spot then you're left with nothing you're left with like there are some guys in this league david montgomery keenan allen they're boring yeah i get it but then you look up at the end of the season and he has keenan allen has 100 catches 1200 yards 10 touchdowns every single year and he's falling in the draft because it's boring same with david montgomery so with that i'm going to get in to the positions We'll start with running back. And I don't have to mention this. Like, Jonathan Taylor, he might get less touches this year. I don't know if he will or won't. But he's a safe pick. He hasn't been hurt yet as a running back. They handed it to him a ton of times. They threw it to him out of the backfield a ton of times. Now there's a quarterback change. You're not going to be having as many dump-offs, right? Without Carson Wentz there and with Matt Ryan. So we'll see how that changes things. They might trust Matt Ryan more. They should trust Matt Ryan more, so they're probably going to throw it a little bit more. But he's the consensus first overall pick, and I can't really argue with that. Now, the guy who I have as my number two running back is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is another guy who, yes, that offense is going to move a little bit more to a throw-first offense, but an offense that has Kirk Cousin, they're going to be heavily reliant on the running game still. And Dalvin Cook out of the backfield and his catching ability out of the backfield. He's not too old. He hasn't had a major injury. I like him. I think he's reliable. I think he's a guy that you're going to look at as a running back and be really happy you have him. Another guy or a couple guys who are reliable like that, Aaron Jones just signed a huge contract. They have a good defense. They got rid of a bunch of their wide receivers. Now, Rodgers is still going to be great, but they might be looking at a little bit more of a ground and pound type style. They just signed him to a big deal. That means they're going to be relying on him. I think Aaron Jones is going to do a lot this season. Nick Chubb, another guy, always does a lot. And guess what? With no Deshaun Watson the first few weeks, yeah, he doesn't get as many catches out of the backfield, but he makes up for it. He gets every goal line touch. He's going to be running a ton. And Kamara kind of doesn't really have a place there. Or not Kamara, I should say Kareem Hunt. That kind of doesn't really have a place there because of Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb has been reliable. The guys who I don't really understand, Najee Harris has a weird injury. So I don't really trust him. So if you're in that top five pick area of the draft, you're looking at Najee Harris. I don't know. He could be great, but there's a weird injury there. Derrick Henry coming off the injury from last year looked really bad in the playoff game. At one point, do you say with Derrick Henry, it's been too many injuries. There's been too much with Derrick Henry, too much on his body. How can he keep doing this? He's gotten to that age. And with Derrick Henry, it's like, I'd rather get out a year early or two years early even on Derrick Henry than be the guy stuck with a bad Derrick Henry. I remember I was one of the first guys to have Derrick Henry. 
I started him against the Giants when he had those 54 points or whatever. I was there at MetLife Stadium watching that game. And Derrick Henry had one of the greatest fantasy football games of all time. And it was awesome. And Derrick Henry, they handed off to him every single time. And he goes right up the middle. And it seems like he's unstoppable. And he's going to get higher usage than anyone. And I know he's built like a truck. He's built so different than anyone. Maybe if anyone can load these miles on him and log these miles, it would be Derrick Henry. But do you want to be left holding the bag on Derrick Henry on a guy who finally, it just, the tires blow out and he's done? I don't want to be that guy. Joe Mixon is a guy who I think they're going to try and run it more. The improved offensive line, everyone talks about that for Joe Burrow. But that's great for Joe Mixon. They're going to be selling out to stop Jamar Chase and the wide receivers. So that could open up the field more for Joe Mixon. I really, really like Joe Mixon this year. So we'll see how that goes for him. Austin Eckler was very touchdown reliant last year. I don't know if he's going to get as many touchdowns this year. I know he's ranked really high, but I don't know. I I don't love taking a guy who's shown me one year. A guy who's been in the league for a while and one year all of a sudden he was great. And all of a sudden we're telling him, they're telling me he's the top five running back in the league. I'm not so sure. And then a guy who a lot of people are drafting early is Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is one of two things. He will either be the best player in fantasy football this year because he is historically the greatest fantasy football player of all time. He runs the ball every time, gets a million catches out of the backfield. He could line up a wide receiver. He's insane. But Christian McCaffrey has played 10 games in the last two years. 10 total games in the last two years. So don't draft Christian McCaffrey at the 7th pick, at the 10th pick, at the 11th, 12th pick. If you don't believe that Christian McCaffrey is the first overall pick, then you should not draft him at all. Because if you believe he's going to be injured, and a lot of people have been burned by him. I'm one of the guys who's been burned by him, so I'm not going to draft him. No matter what. Maybe if he's $20 in the league tonight in the auction draft, then maybe I draft him. If he's 20 bucks, I guess. Like, I don't know, at what point does it make sense to draft him? What point does it... Yeah, $20 is worth the risk, fine. But if you're drafting in a snake draft, he's either first overall, and he's going to be the best player in football, or you don't draft him at all. Because if you think he's going to be injured, then there's no point in drafting him anyway. Then it's always going to be, I don't know, do I start him? Do I not start him? They never tell you. That's always been the thing with him also. They never had a timeline last year. It was so frustrating to have him. Every week, you're like, I don't know if McCaffrey's starting this week or not. I don't know when he's coming back. And so I couldn't trade him. I couldn't get rid of him. I remember I wanted to trade him early on. I wanted to be like, oh, let me just get rid of him. And I had him two years in a row. I had him the last two years. And that's why maybe I'm extra jaded. But I am not going to draft Christian McCaffrey. Watch me go draft him, goddammit. But I really don't want to draft Christian McCaffrey. Now, there's a bunch of question marks. Ezekiel Elliott, there's an interesting thing here. And this kind of plays in with Tony Pollard. The Cowboys have shown a stubbornness that they're going to keep running Zeke out there even when he's not right. And last year it happened all the time where he was getting two yards, one yard, and they kept handing it off to him. And goal line plays, he still always got all the goal line touches. So guess what? He's going to stumble in to a bunch of touchdowns. It's just going to happen because he's going to run into a few. So maybe the stubbornness helps you. You draft him early, but I can't tell you he's going to be the same guy. He hasn't been the same guy in a couple of years, or at least last year he wasn't, so I don't know. But I will tell you they'll probably still keep feeding him. Saquon Barkley, this is as good of an offensive line he's ever had. They don't trust Daniel Jones. 
and he's the second year after an injury, which is the big thing, right? The first year they come back after an injury, especially with running backs, they're not as good. But the second year after the injury, that's what Cooper Cup had the second year after the injury. I know he's a wide receiver. That's when they're really, really good. So that could be it for Saquon Barkley. Or it's that running back shelf life is not that long, and he's 26 or 27 years old, and that's enough. He's, he's done it. He's had the running back career. He's old. So there's question marks next to both those guys. Alvin Kamara was a huge pass out of the backfield guy. That's why he was so valuable. And he doesn't have Drew Brees winding up as if he's going to throw it 50 yards downfield and then dumping it off five yards. Jameis Winston's going to close his eyes and chuck it as far as he can. So unless Alvin Kamara is running 80 yards downfield, I don't think he has that PPR value that he had for so many years. Another guy like Austin Eckler, who was so reliant on the touchdown last year is DeAndre Swift. I don't love him. Like I said, very touchdown reliant. James Conner is, um, well, I don't know. James Conner, he's on the Cardinals. And so that team is so weird with Kingsbury and with what's going on over there with Kyler. I don't know. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I mentioned I have him on my team. I like him. I think he's a good value pick. Look, the first two years, it wasn't great. I had him two years ago. I had him last year. I picked him, I think it was the beginning of the second round two years ago when he was a rookie and everyone was talking about how great he's going to be he hasn't been great he's had fumble issues but they keep going with him and they also trade Tyreek Hill maybe this is the way they open up the field a little bit more they start running a little bit more I'm going to give Clyde Edwards Hilaire especially for where he's going to be drafted one last chance another guy who I'm going to give another chance to just because of where he's going to get drafted and what I've seen and it sucks that a guy that got shot that is going to give Antonio Gibson more of an opportunity, but Antonio Gibson is going to have more of an opportunity now. That's the fact. And yes, it sucks that that's where your mind goes. That I was like, oh my God, Antonio Gibson, look at that. It sucks that a guy got shot. People get shot all the time. A football player happens to have gotten shot, and it gives Antonio Gibson more of an opportunity. And Antonio Gibson has had more touches than any other running back in fantasy last year. So he's going to get a ton of handoffs, right? Now, what they call them, they call them empty carries. You can get empty carries between the 20s. He's not going to get red zone, goal line touches. I don't know that. Maybe he'll break off a couple runs. If he gets me a lot of yards and there's an off chance that he's going to score a touchdown once in a while and he's getting me 100 yards a week, 80 yards a week, 90 yards a week, and then every other week he scores a touchdown, that's good enough for me to put him in my RB2. Another guy, Rashad Penny, he's going to be starting. And they knew that that injury was coming, and they yet still didn't go out and sign a running back and pick up a running back. They knew that their starter was retiring after the neck injury was a career-ending injury, and they didn't go and sign a running back. So that tells me they're going to be relying on Penny, and they don't have a quarterback there. You think Geno Smith is going to be throwing the ball 30 times a game? He's not. You think Drew Locke is going to be throwing the ball 30 times a game? He's not. The only person who believes in Drew Locke is Drew Locke, and I love that about him, but he's not a good football quarterback. And so I would get Rashad Penny. They're going to be relying on him a lot. Brees Hall struggled tremendously in the preseason. And so I'm iffy on him. They already said Michael Carter is probably going to be starting week one. But you kind of saw flashes that Brees Hall can do it. So maybe by the end of the year, he's going to be really good. But I think he will be falling in a lot of drafts this week. David Montgomery, by the way, I mentioned him earlier. He's boring. He's good. Take him. He's going to get you a lot of yards. He's always reliable. He's always the same. Sometimes there are guys that are just boring that you just have to take because you know they're going to be good. I'm done with Josh Jacobs. Bill Simmons made a funny point. He's like, 
fantasy football owners hated him when he was actually doing pretty well. Can you imagine now he's not going to be doing as well anymore? There's a lot of options out here. It's weird. I talked about the second year after the leg injury. Well, a guy who's in his first year after the leg injury is J.K. Dobbins. I'm not going to draft him because he could be good, but it's the first year after the leg injury. I think next year is the year you want him. And Cordero Patterson, who would have thought that after a couple of years, he has a breakout year. He's been in the league for so long. What was it, like year eight? He has a breakout year as a running back? But he did. He broke out as a running back. He was really good. And there's no reason for me to think that that's going to stop. And for where he's going to be falling in a lot of drafts, I really like him. Another guy who I love is Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce is going to be one of the better running backs in football. They cut, I think, one of the running backs there in Houston. He's the rookie. Everyone has said he's really good. It kind of reminds me of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, rookie running back. Everyone's saying he's really good. But you're not going to have to take him in the first round. He's only going to cost you a few dollars if you're in an auction league. You're going to take him in maybe the eighth round of the fantasy football draft. And if he lasts to the seventh or eighth round, I would definitely take him. He's going to give you RB1 production, most likely. I don't know anything. There's always a guy who's one injury away, by the way. To me this year, it's Alexander Madison. They said they might be looking to trade him, Minnesota. He was really good when he came in last year. Minnesota saying they're looking to trade him kind of tells me I'm so in on Dalvin Cook. And everyone knows I'm really in on Dalvin Cook. But I really like Dalvin Cook. And one of the reasons is because they trust him a lot. The team trusts him a lot. They're looking to trade a guy who's been a proven commodity as a backup running back and can play really well. I kind of like that. Another guy, Kenneth Gainwell. He is the running back on the Eagles, and he's going to get get a lot more touches than Miles Sanders. Don't draft Miles Sanders. Kenneth Gainwell is going to be the starting running back there. So that's all I got on running backs. I hope you remember all that. I just gave you little tips and pointers that I have on running backs. To wide receivers we go. There's a lot to talk about because there's a lot of wide receivers. A lot of people are saying that Cooper Cup is not going to be the same this year as he was last year. That's fine. I don't need a triple crown, but he was the best player in fantasy last year outside of Jonathan Taylor. And he can be still one of the best receivers. He was by far the best receiver last year. He could be really good and still be one of the top receivers in fantasy this year. I took him because he fell to seven. I had the seventh overall pick. And Cooper Cup fell to seven. I'm like, I'm not letting him fall any further. And I want to take Stephon Diggs with that pick. Because I'll tell you right now, I think Stephon Diggs is going to be the number one fantasy football wide receiver this year. He's just going to get a ton of passes from Josh Allen, who's probably going to win the MVP, if not be one of the best wide receiver, if not be the best fantasy quarterback. And so I think Stefan Diggs is going to have an insane year. And I almost took him at seven overall, but I'm like, I'm not going to take a wide receiver here who's not Cooper Cup if Cooper Cup is available. Turns out I got Stefan Diggs coming back around. I got them both. Now, Justin Jefferson was in a run first offense the last couple of years, and he was still one of the best wide receivers in the league. And guess what? Now he's going to be actually the best wide receiver in the league because they're in a pass-heavy offense. That's what they say, so we'll see what happens. Jamar Chase, what I love about Jamar Chase is you know they're going to throw two, three deep balls to him and try it about three, four times a game, right? And so if he gets one or two of them, one goes for 30 yards, one goes for an 80-yard touchdown, then all of a sudden there's all your points you need. And he's also a good wide receiver. He's not just a deep ball threat. I really like him. A guy I like a ton this year also is Debo Samuel. And the reason I like Debo Samuel is because he has rushing incentives in his contract. And when you think about you need rushing yards, maybe you didn't do so well with your running backs. You didn't want get one of those top five or six guys. 
Now you need more rushing yards. Like I said, I went to Lamar Jackson for that, but you could go to Debo Samuel for that. He's going to be going early, so you're going to have to know early. But Debo Samuel, if he's incentivized, I like that in his contract there's an incentivization to get rushing yards. If he's incentivized to get rushing yards on his contract, then that'll help you as a fantasy owner. I talked about Keenan Allen. He's boring. He's going to keep doing it, though. He's going to get 10 catches a game. He'll have either 10 catches and 80 yards in a game, or he'll just get six catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. That's basically what he did all of last year. He didn't blow me away. At no point did I feel like, oh my God, Keenan Allen's been awesome for me this year. But you look up at the end of the season, and you're like, oh, 1,200 yards, six touchdowns, 103 catches, 106 catches, whatever it was. Yeah, he's been proven, and he does it every single year. I like Tyreek Hill. I still think it's the same thing. He's going to get two, three deep balls thrown to him. I think Devontae Adams is going to be really good. Now I'm just telling you, but guys who I think are going to be good, Devontae Adams is going to be with a guy who he's buddies with, a guy who's going to throw it to him a ton in Derek Carr. And I have a sleeper bet on Derek Carr to win MVP. If Derek Carr wins MVP, then he's going to be throwing it to Devontae Adams a lot. Derek Carr throws it a ton. That offense throws it a ton. So I like Devontae Adams a lot. A guy I didn't mention yet is C.D. Lamb. The one concerning thing with C.D. Lamb is they lose Amari Cooper. And so now there's more pressure on C.D. Lamb. So we'll see how that goes with him as the wide receiver one. A guy who's a huge sleeper for me in this draft is Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, for some reason, is falling so far in drafts. He's going as like 30-something overall in the draft, and I don't understand that. This is a guy who is capable. He's going fourth round-ish in the draft. I think he's a first, second round talent wide receiver, top-tier wide receiver, and him going in the fourth round is insane to me. I think he's going to be really good this year. I love Terry McLaurin. Unless there's something I don't know. I don't know. Tell me. Michael Pittman, everyone's super in on him. Look, he hasn't gotten this amount of attention, so he's getting a lot of attention. But at the same time, it's kind of warranted. He's been really good the last two years. And also, he has a quarterback who can throw now. He doesn't have Carson Wentz anymore. He has Matt Ryan, so that should bode well for him. Another guy, Mike Williams, he's going to be the number one target probably next to Keenan Allen with a quarterback who's supposed to be incredible, Justin Herbert. So that's that. Adam Thielen, by the way, was a top six wide receiver last year till he got hurt. And he gets targeted a ton more than any other wide receiver in the red zone. Kirk Cousins likes throwing to him in the red zone. He's in the same situation as he was the last few years. He's gotten a year older, but I drafted him. He's also another late value pick. Another late value pick, Allen Robinson. People kind of forget about him. The one thing I'm scared about is Matthew Stafford's arm. So I think Cooper Cup could be great with any quarterback but if you're looking already a little down the line at their quarterbacks Allen Robinson if you're scared about uh, about Matthew Stafford maybe don't take Robinson there's no reason why he's not getting more hype another great value pick is Jerry Judy Darnell Mooney is going to be the number one receiver on that team so he's a good value pick and these are guys who are going to be taken later in the draft sixth seventh round like the 60th ranked players in fantasy hunter renfro i know everyone's in on him but the problem with everyone being in on him is so is the defense so there's going to be a fall off there now with Devonte adams coming in maybe he gets less passes who knows i actually think the passes aren't going to be taken away as much from renfro i think they might be coming out of darren waller's uh cat passes so i don't know i don't love darren waller this year that's kind of my hot take alan lazard is a guy i love i also really like Devonte smith because if you believe 
and the people seem to believe that the Eagles are going to be really good. They're going to always need a number one receiver. They finally j- traded away Jalen Rieger, which is just crazy. Jeff- Justin Jefferson, like I said, he's like the number one f- fantasy wide receiver, number one NFL wide receiver on the board, and they could have had a chance to draft him. And that video has been circulating today. As Jalen Rieger was released, the Eagles took Rieger over Justin Jefferson. It's crazy. But I love Devonta Smith. I think he can have a breakout year. If you watched Hard Knocks, you probably love Amon Ra St. Brown. But don't like take him too early just because you love Hard Knocks so much. Rashad Bateman, I'm kind of unclear on him because... Just because there's hype around him, he's one of those guys who there's hype around him. We haven't seen him do it, and we haven't seen Lamar throw outside the numbers, throw to wide receivers. He's going to throw to the two tight ends over the middle. That's what he likes to do. So we'll see. Alan Lazard, like I said, him, Juju Smith-Schuster, those are both guys who are in situations where Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are going to be good this year. So if you trust that they're going to be good, who are the number one receivers? Lazard and Juju. You could get them probably in like the ninth, 10th, 11th round. That's great value picks right there. And the last quarterback who could probably be really good value, you get him really, really late in the draft, is Chris Olave. He's probably going to be, and him and Jarvis Landry, I guess, are the top two receivers in New Orleans. And like I said, they have Jameis Winston. He's going to close his eyes and throw it up there. And Olave is one of the best running, is one of the best wide receivers coming out of the draft. He's a young, explosive wide receiver, and he's going to be awesome. We know that James is just going to close his eyes and chuck it up. So that's kind of my list of guys that maybe you should be looking at. By the way, if you're looking at a guy for week one, look no further than Sammy Watkins. I told you Rodgers has to throw to someone, and Sammy Watkins always has a good week one. All right, we're going to go to quarterbacks and then tight ends, and then we'll be done. The quarterbacks are kind of like, duh, good, Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, great. I talked about Lamar Jackson. There's a whole weird situation with the contract. I talked about that on last episode. But if Lamar Jackson can stay healthy, he kind of, to me, is one of those guys that's actually really worth taking early. And I took him ahead of Allen, Mahomes, and Herbert because, to me, it's like he's like a middle-of-the-tier quarterback plus an RB2 at the same time because he's going to get so many rushing yards and he's also going to get a bunch of passing yards. He's going to give you the production without the rushing of a quarterback who's probably the like, middle-of-the-pack quarterback, maybe an Aaron Rodgers fantasy quarterback, a Derek Carr fantasy quarterback, one of those guys with the production from a running guy as maybe an RB2. He's not going to get the touchdowns like a running back would normally get. He doesn't rush for a ton of touchdowns, but he's going to rush for a lot of rushing yards, and he's going to make up for it by throwing for touchdowns. I think he's actually a really valuable quarterback. What's frustrating is Aaron Rodgers is the two-time MVP, and yet he's not a great fantasy quarterback because they don't correlate, and that's what bothers me about quarterbacks in fantasy. Joe Burrow, we talked about a guy coming off the second year after a knee surgery. Joe Burrow, this is going to be a second year. Last year was the year that was his first year back, and he was so good. Can you imagine how good he's going to be this year? I think Joe Burrow could be really special this year, could have a Josh Allen-type season, Josh Allen from last year, um, and be just the best... Uh, NFL so if you're looking for if it gets past those top four guys and you're looking at who's left Joe Burrow could be that guy and Derek Carr Derek Carr I had him last year one of the most steady fantasy quarterbacks was getting me consistently 20 25 26 points every single week Um, he's not going to have those games where he just has 40 points but he's going to throw a ton we know that and he has a lot of receivers like I said he has Devontae Adams this year one of the best receivers in the league so that should work well for Derek Carr and he should get you a ton of points Russell Wilson, I am out on. 
Um, I'm just done with him. I don't know what to think of him. He hasn't been good in a few years. Maybe he this year he finally has his resurgence. I mentioned I like Jerry Judy, so if I like Jerry Judy, I probably should like Russell Wilson, but I just don't love it anymore. He's made business decisions the last few years to not run as much. So if he's not running anymore, what's his value as much as a passer? It's not that great. It's still going to be a run-first offense that he's in. Kyler Murray and Tom Brady are two guys who, I, they're not very similar, but I have question marks about them. Like I said, I'm not going to take anyone from the Cardinals. And Tom Brady, maybe this is finally the year he falls off a little bit, and especially if you're in a one-quarterback league, just don't take him. There's so many other guys who you know can get you points. You know, like I said, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford if he's not hurt. Jalen Hurts could get you a lot of points. Trey Lance, there's a lot of hype about him, but who knows? They re-signed Jimmy G, so maybe they don't trust Lance. Kirk Cousins is basically Dak. If you look at their numbers, they're identical especially as fantasy quarterbacks. And if you're in a two-quarterback league, guys who have value, Trevor Lawrence and Jameis Winston. Because for Jameis Winston, he's going to chuck it up a ton. You know that. So he's going to get yards. He's going to get touchdowns. He'll throw a lot of picks, but the yards and touchdowns will make up for it. And for Trevor Lawrence, it can't be as bad as it was last year. It has to be better, you think. So that's, that's where I'm thinking. All right, tight ends, and then we'll get out of here i have one last pointer and one last thing to talk about but i've been talking for a really long time so i will get out of your way and you could go on with your day number one kyle pitts he is the number one tight end you know why because he's a wide receiver he runs like a wide receiver he's gonna run routes he's not gonna block a lot he's gonna be on the field every play he's gonna be spread out wide and it doesn't matter who's throwing to him He's big, he's fast, he's strong, he's tall. No one can cover him. You can't cover him with a corner. You can't cover him with a safety. You can't cover him with a, lining, with a linebacker. He's awesome. So Kyle Pitts is my number one tight end across the board. He really is. And 1A is Mark Andrews. Why do I like Mark Andrews so much? Like I said, Lamar Jackson likes to throw between the numbers, over the middle. Isaiah likely is going to be there. And there's one thinking to say, well, if Isaiah likely is going to be there, it's going to take some passes away from Mark Andrews but no I think the Ravens are actually going to run a lot of two tight end sets and that could open up more passes if they have to cover two guys in the middle of the field now that could open up more stuff for Mark Andrews when the Patriots had Aaron Hernandez it actually helped Rob Gronkowski we know how that all worked out didn't work out great for Aaron Hernandez long term but for Rob Gronkowski and fantasy purposes it worked out for many many years speaking of Rob Gronkowski we've seen tight ends when they fall off they kind of fall hard and uh Maybe Travis Kelsey is having that year. I, you can't predict that year, but there's going to be more focus on him without Tyreek Hill taking the top off. There's going to be more focus on him in the middle of the field. Who knows what Juju Smith-Schuster can do? Maybe they do run it more with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And by the way, he's a great blocker, Travis Kelsey. So you know he's going to be on the field because they're going to want him on the field blocking You know, for the running back if they do run the ball a lot. So... We'll see. I, I can't predict that my massive spike, but I don't have him at one or two. I have him at number three, or really, because I had Pitts as the number one tight end and Andrews as the number one A. So I have Kelsey as the number two tight end, the third overall. George Kittle has been hurt the last couple of years, but he's another guy who's falling far in the draft. And if you're going to take a tight end at that point, where I think at some point it's just like all the tight ends get to be the same, but if you're looking for a guy who can be a difference maker and could be late draft value, look at George Kittle. Like I said, I don't love Darren Waller. I'm kind of out on him. He might have the fall off. He's been a little bit hurt last year, been a little bit hurt in training camp. I think guys who can have a big jump this year, Dawson Knox. If you love 
I love Buffalo Bills guys. I love Glenn Davis. I love Dawson Knox. I love anyone who's going to be playing on a Bills on a team that's going to be throwing a ton and you know they're going to be scoring a ton of points with Josh Allen. So I love Dawson Knox. I love Dalton Schultz and Dallas Goddard, obviously. Uh, Both guys who are going to give you a lot of production. And my guy, I use this for everyone, but Robert Tunyon. He's going to get passes because who is Rodgers going to throw to? He needs to throw to someone. So Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon are guys that I think are going to just catch passes. And that's why I have Robert Tunyon. Speaking of Isaiah Likely, I mentioned him earlier. If he's on the waivers and he goes off week one and you see how they're using him, I would pick him up. I'd take a look at him. I, I don't know if I'd pay a dollar for him in a draft. I don't know if I'd draft him if it wasn't like the last pick of the last round. Maybe I would take him. But he might be worth a look if they are indeed going to be running a lot of two tight end stuff. And if you think that he's going to be beneficial for Mark Andrews, think about how beneficial Mark Andrews being on the other side of the field or on the same side of the field in the middle of the field with him is going to be for Isaiah likely. That could be really big and he could end up getting a lot, a lot of targets from Lamar Jackson this year. Okay. That's going to wrap it up as far as fantasy football. The last thing I wanted to mention as far as fantasy football is you play to win. So don't play it safe. I talked about at the beginning, how, taking these guys who are high risk high reward yeah i get that but when you look at everything across the board you want superstars you want difference makers so take jamar chase take jonathan taylor take these guys who had explosive crazy seasons and play to win you don't know what's going to happen so having a bunch of depth or middle of the pack guys i'm not talking about guys like keenan allen who you know are going to be good i'm talking about guys who are like yeah, Darnell Mooney's going to be really good. And I mentioned him earlier. Maybe he will be good. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But take chances. At some point in the draft, you're going to take chances. Uh, at the top of the draft, you want to get as much value as possible. I get that. But if you're looking in the middle of the draft, you're looking at like Juju Smith-Schuster versus a guy like, I don't know, Melvin Gordon. Take Juju. Yeah, he's been bad the last couple of years. Melvin Gordon's a running back. Eh, no, I like Juju smith You know that he's going to get a lot of passes from Patrick Mahomes this year. Mahomes is going to go off. Take those types of chances. I like that. Um, I don't know if I helped anyone or didn't, but I kind of wanted to talk about fantasy football, and now I did. And we'll see how my first ever auction draft, I did a bunch of mock drafts. We'll see how it goes coming up. The last thing that's been big in sports this year, if you were watching sports, or I should say today, was Serena Williams is kind of going off at the U.S. Open. It's her last hurrah. And the faces in the stands, and specifically Tiger Woods, a sports legend, being there sitting in the crowd and rooting for her the way he has been and giving me the fist bump and being all excited about it. It's just cool to watch. Sometimes sports are just awesome. And it's kind of, you have these moments that, you know, you're complaining about the Yankees or you're complaining about this, you're talking about fantasy or blah, blah, blah. There are just these moments that remind you that sports can be really fun and really awesome. And there's just, there is just, there's a lot of good there. And that's why we like it. That's why we're drawn to it. It's because there's, there's so much positive. And I feel like the negative in sports gets talked about far more than the positive, which is just frustrating. But that's what does numbers, um, you know, get more clicks, get more listens if you talk about negative things. But there's so much positive things. And watching a moment like that with Serena and Tiger has been awesome. That'll do it for me. This is a really, really long episode. Um, So until next time, thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. I'll see you later. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti 